0: You know, speak, <laughs> all that noise, for kind of greasy kid stuff, that's greasy grown-up stuff. I wonder how greasy grown-up stuff is like. <laughs> yeah, that's right, man. <laughs> You're a rotten person. You know, speaking of <laughs> greasy grown-up stuff, did you read that great story that came out of... Just happened to think of it. Uh, just a minute ago when, when the theme was playing, I was going on the air, and i uh, it just hit me, and I... It had nothing to do with the show, but it, it just hit me funny. Uh, did you read the story that came out of London uh, a couple of weeks ago? And it was about a little town outside of London, one of these uh, little beautiful towns like Henley-on-Thames or something with 15th century buildings and all that. And... Uh, they're very dark at night. Now I've I've spent a couple of nights in little towns in in that area, particularly Henley on Thames, which you have to stay in overnight to believe believe me. And uh, they're very dark. There's not much movement and it's quiet and there's a certain sense of uh, of uh, withdrawal from the world. Well, the story came out about this little town, and uh, there was an actor, and he's sitting in his living room and he lived in this little apartment. There, what's the matter with you, Lee? What's what's going on in there? You're drifting off there, it's rejoin us, it'll be alright. And he's, he's sitting in his, he's sitting in his apartment there, and uh, he's reading, and all of a sudden he hears the guy breaking in, and uh, he hears this, he hears the, the, the window is being busted, and he's, what the heck, you know, he's sitting there, and he is a, this, he's, he's a typical, classical type of actor, this guy. And uh, without thinking, he says the first thing he could think of. The, without actually thinking, he jumped up and he rushed over. And he was he was appearing in in London in a classical Shakespearean play. So he rushes over and he straps on his his breastplate that he had in the play, and he puts on this sword. He had this big sword, and he was wearing a doublet. And so with that, he rushes to the door and he says, on away, evaster, knave! I will slay thee!" And he raises the sword and this guy falls over backward, he almost passes out and runs down the street and was never seen again. And uh, when the when the actor was asked about it, he beautiful you know, Abon, Havasti, raise, up with thy dirk, we will fight to the finish. Hum. And he quoted Shakespeare. I don't know the exact quote, but he, he bellowed out a, a line from Shakespeare and they asked him, Well, what made you think to do that? And he says, "Well, I think in those terms. <laughs> and, and I know, what, a, what a great moment to, to see this uh, to see this thug suddenly confront. Of course, the problems the problems of, uh, uh, <laughs> of, of what we react to and how we, how we refer to the outside. well, this is a classic example of it that if you wake up a guy in the middle of the night, his liable will act. Like he acted fifteen years ago, without any thinking at all. I know at least fourteen thousand XGIs that if at three in the morning I were to holler, "All right, you guys, the doctor's outside. Let's go on the trouble They jump up, and and down comes the bottom of their pajamas, and they run out and they stand there and wait, and they start coughing. It's just a, an automatic reaction. But this, uh, this, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, speaking of of, uh, of automatic reactions, I'm I'm curious about the one thing here. Uh, I've heard so much, uh, people constantly asking trivia questions. And I'm not going to pound the trivia bit here into the ground tonight. But I'm, go- I'm going to ask you one. You know, the, the, the kind of trivia that really is in my mind is not the kind of trivia that relates to what did the shadow say, uh, to, to the detective. Uh, not that. That's, to me, that's uh, greasy kid stuff. I will ask you a trivia question. What car now get ready out there, you trivia guys. What car was named after a general? And this car was not only named after a general, but it referred to one of its models as the 600. And there, and there was a specific reason why it called itself the 600. Now I, I remember I remember the scene well. Uh, the why I know this car so vividly was. Uh, my uh, my my old man used to sit there, see, uh, and he was a great car fan. He 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 read he read everything he could lay his hands on about cars. You know, he's reading about cars and he's looking at cars and he can identify cars in the dark and all that stuff. And one day this big full page ad came out and it related to this car, it says the 600, and it told why it called itself the 600. And the old man says, that's a crock and, uh, he sat there and thought about this for me. Ah, it's just, no, it just can't do that. Impossible. Ridiculous. Well, by George, my boss's, my dad's boss showed up with one of these cars. And he drove it over to our house. And the old man went out there and looked at it. And we was, we stood around, we looked at the car, and you know, everybody was impressed by this. we looking at it. It's a thing. And it's not that old. It's not, it's not a hundred thousand years ago. Uh, this car on, was only briefly made. It was made by another company to show you how much trivia it is. This same company, uh, is in the refrigerator business now. <laughs> so what, what was the name of that car? It was named after a general. I will give you a clue. It was not an American general. Precisely. Almost an American general. What was the name of that car? You think, you think you know that? And you, I never hear anybody mention this car anymore. That's real trivia. No, there was never a car called the George Washington. Come on. Somebody called in and said, the Pershing? No, no, come on, stop it. Now, this, uh, obviously there's a wild, uh, this is... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> now, why did I think of that? Well, now, 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 if you, while you're thinking about that out there, if you please, uh, would you, would you wa- watch me there, Skip? Give me a little romantic cheap guitar music, please. And I will chivvy you with another piece of trivia. Really cheap. Just uh, lay it on any cut, that's all. It doesn't make any difference. Cheap guitar music is cheap guitar music. Oh, that's great. Bring it up there. Come on. That's it. Come on. Oh, lay it in there. That's the stuff. I will read to you now a tale of the 13th floor. The hands of the clock were reaching high in an old midtown hotel. I name no name, but its sordid fame is table talk in hell. (laughs) Yes, I name no name, but hell's own flame illumines the lobby garish. A gilded snare just off Times Square for the maidens of the parish. The revolving door swept the grimy floor like a crinoline grotesque, And a lowly bum from an ancient slum crept furtively past the desk. His footsteps sift into the lift as a knife in the sheath is slipped. Stealthy and swift into the lift as a vampire into a crypt. (laughs) Old Maxie, the elevator boy, was reading an ode by Shelley, But he dropped the ode as it were a toad when the gun jammed into his belly. Then there came a whisper as soft as mud In the bed of an old canal Take me up to the suite Of Pinball Pete The rat who betrayed my gal The lift doth rise With groans and sighs Like a duchess for the waltz Then in middle shaft Like a, like a duchess daft It changes its mind And halts The bum bites his lip as the landlocked ship doth neither fall nor rise. But Maxie, the elevator boy, regards him with burning eyes. (laughs) First, to explore the thirteenth floor, says Maxie, would be wise. Quoth the bum, there is moss on your double cross. I've been this way before. I've cased the joint at every point, and there is no thirteenth floor. The architect, he skipped direct from twelve unto fourteen. There is twelve below and fourteen above, and nothing in between. Nor the vermin who dwell in this hotel could ever abide. Thirteen. Said Max. Thirteen. That floor obscene is hidden from human sight. But once a year, it doth appear on this Walpurgis night. (laughs) Ere you peril your soul in murderer's role, heed those who sinned of yore. The path they trod led away from God and unto the thirteenth floor, unto the thirteenth floor, where those they slew, a grisly crew. Reproach them forevermore. We, we are higher than twelve and below fourteen, said Maxie to the bum. The sickening draft that taints the shaft is a whiff of kingdom come. The sickening draft that taints the shaft blows through the devil's door. And he squashed the lash like a fungus patch and revealed the thirteenth floor. It was cheap cigars like lurid scars that glowed in the rancid gloom. The muck was a boil with fusel oil and the reek of stale perfume. And round and round there dragged and wound a loathsome conga chain. The square and the hopi in slow lockstep. The slayer and the slain. For the souls of the victims ascend on high, but their bodies below remain. The clean souls fly to their home in the sky, but their bodies remain below to pursue the cane who each has slain and harry him to and fro, to and fro. When life is extinct, each corpse is linked to its gibbering murderer as a chicken is bound with wire around the neck of a killer cur. Handcuffed to hate, comes Dr. Waite. He tastes the poison now. And Ruth and Judd and a herd of blood with horns upon its brow. Up Shay Shay's Nan with her feathery fan from Floradora Bright. She never hung for Caesar Young, but she's dancing with him tonight. <laughs> oh, here's the bulging hip and the foam-flecked lip of the mad dog, Vincent Cole. And over there, that met pair, Becker and Rosenthal. Here's legs and Dutch and a dozen such of braggart bullies and brutes and each one bends neath the weight of friends who are wearing concrete suits. Now the damned make way for the double damned who emerge with shuffling pace from the nightmare zone of persons unknown, with neither name nor face, and poor Dot King to one doth cling joined in a ghastly jig, while Ewell doth jape at a goblin shape, and tickle it with his wig. (laughs) See Rothstein pass like breath on a glass, the original Black Sox kid, you remember him, He riffles the pack, riding piggyback on the killer whose name he hid, and smeared like brine on a slavering swine, star faithful, once so fair, drawn from the sea to her debauchee with the salt sand in her hair. (laughs) And still they come, and from the bum the icy sweat doth spray, his white lips scream as in a dream, For God's sakes, let's away... If ever I meet with Pinball Pete, I will not seek his gore. Lest the treadmill grim, I must trudge with him at the hideous 13th floor. Oh, for you I rejoice, said Maxie's voice. I bid you go in peace. But I am late for a dancing date that never war will cease. So remember, friend, as you way you wind that it would have happened to you but I turned the heat I turned the heat on pinball Pete you see I had a daughter too the bum reached out and he tried to shout but the door in his face was slammed and silent as stone he rode down alone from the floor of the double dam Now, speaking of trivia, who wrote that? You wouldn't believe it. You wouldn't believe who wrote that. I uh, throw your shoulders. So what? That uh, you, you wouldn't believe it. Who wrote it? Fascinating. By the way, he's a, he's a fairly contemporary poet. It is not Robert Service. Now, he he wrote it in that form. Who wrote it? Speaking of uh, trivia, this is W O R A M and F M New York. Hit the thing there. Miller High Life, the bright, clear taste in beer Miller High Life, the champagne of bottled beer There's only one champagne of bottled beer Sparkling, flavorful, distinctive Miller High Life Brewed only in Milwaukee from a century-old recipe Miller High Life has a rich heritage and tradition a bright, clear taste, unequaled, unquestioned, unchanging. Available on tap, in cans, and in the familiar crystal clear bottle. Miller High Life is always sparkling, flavorful, distinctive. Enjoy Miller High Life yourself. Miller High Life, the champagne of bottle beer. Smell of life, the champagne of bottled beer. It's working. It's working. Gee, that's a great sound, I'll tell you. There are some sounds that no man with so-so dead has ever to himself said, Oh, come on, will you? Kid writes to me and he says, Shepherd, what am I going to do? I bought this $17 jew's harp and all I get is a dull plunk out of it. <laughs> well, there are many called, but few are chosen, I repeat. Let's, uh, let's see. What would we like to do? What would you like to hear tonight? Any requests tonight? And, uh, before, who is that in there anyway? Come on, fella, will you please? Before we, before we go any <laughs> further, <laughs> let's get, let's get down with a little business here. We have, uh, to quote one of my old confreres, uh, we have with us Happiness, which is a very fine Chinese restaurant. And, uh, for those of you who like unusual Chinese food that, Gets away from that stuff that comes in the frozen packages or uh, the joints that uh, chow mein to go. Uh, this uh, this restaurant uh, features things like Sesawamp, uh all types of food from many different uh, parts of China. And I would suggest it. Doesn't he want to go? Oh, we'll see that he goes. Okay, I'll put a I'll put a little et on him. He'll be down that elevator shaft quick, and he thought he could get up it. I'm 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 very wiry fellow. You'll find out. Uh, and I have a lot of weight around here, Mr. Leader, so out. We have, uh, again, Happiness, and it's between 93rd and 94th Streets. The food is great, and uh, it's a great place for a fight because they have a bar. They're open seven days a week, and it's called Happiness. Now, let's see. We have with us also Rover. Oh, one more thing before we go into Rover. Uh... I've got a a couple of people have called. We are going to be at Seton Hall. I don't know. Get the plugs out of your ears, will you? The potatoes out of your ears. My mother used to always say, get the potatoes out of your ears. You can grow potatoes in there. Uh, People call up and say, I hear Shepard is going to be at uh, Robert Hall. Oh, gee whiz. And what's worse, I hear he's going to be at Robert Hall in Teaneck, in the men's clothing department. Look, I don't know I've never been to Teenack. I don't know what Robert Hall is. I, I <laughs> I'm going to be at Seaton Hall and it's going to be a week from tonight, which will be uh, the sixteenth of December at eight thirty at the Student Union Building. And uh what town is that in, in uh where is it? South Orange, yes, yeah, the student union building, and they say that if tickets are available to anybody and it's first come, first served. It'll be at 8:30 in Seaton Hall. And by the way, uh, it looks like we might be able to get away with our fantastic uh, underwater ballet. Uh, now, for those of you who wonder about this, it was shot down in Boston. Uh, I did it. At, I did it a, in a review. <laughs> oh boy! I'll tell you, the police and everything's awful, rotten phone calls, threatening letters. The president called all that. But we're going to try to do it at Seaton Hall this coming Thursday. All right, all right, cool. And uh, speaking of things cool, we have Rover tonight. Great uh, car, the Rover 2000. And uh, the Rover people also build a Land Rover. You know, I, I, I know... <laughs> it's funny. I know one guy... Uh, I, I, I've heard rumors that one guy had a Land Rover mounted with twin 50s uh, and a flamethrower out of the front. You know, this is a very tough automobile. Did you see it in the Ipcrest file? Any of you see the Impcrest file? you see the movie? It's a good movie, by the way. I have no connection with it, but it's worth seeing. And uh, they use a Land Rover in the Ipcrest file. Uh, the the Scotland Yard people uh, pull up before this warehouse that's all locked up and they can't get in. And one of them calls over to the Land Rover and says, okay, turn it on. And he goes, can... and they're inside. Well, that's the Land Rover. If <laughs> you saw the picture, that's a Lab Rover, man. That's a uh, that's really a, a, a German Mark 9 Tiger tank in disguise. And uh, they make the magnificent Rover 2000, beautiful car, great automobile. And uh, it's it's won awards all over the world and was the biggest sensation at the last New York show. And I'll guarantee you, it will even be a bigger one at the one that's coming up in the spring. It's the Rover 2000. Okay. Now let's return now now you know why I asked you about that car that other car that car that that uh, uh, the, the the one that was named after the general all kinds of people of course stop calling in it's all over now uh the one guy called in one one character called it yes, that poem was by Ogden Nash, and uh he hasn't quite mastered the style uh, he, the spirit was willing. But the pen was not ready with Mr. Nash. He has not quite mastered the trouble with people who try to write in Robert Service style. Uh, a bunch of the boys were hooping it up in the Malamute Saloon. Is that that uh, they they do it with tongue in cheek and therefore miss the point? Robert Service was not tongue in cheek, and for that reason, his stuff his stuff had a certain uh, a certain pizzazz, uh, just like. Uh, the first uh, James Bond movies were done straight. They didn't know they, You know, they just thought they were doing a big adventure story. Say, the later ones have become ridiculous and bad. They're not as good as the first ones because uh, they became self-conscious and they couldn't quite work in that style. And so, anybody who thinks that he can write in the style of Robert Service had better think very, think very, uh think long and hard. That's a great line, you know. A bunch of the boys were hooping it up in the Malamute Saloon. And sitting back at the bar, <laughs> the ragtime tune was a lady what's known as Lil, Lou, Moo, wow. And uh, this is the real stuff. So you better be careful about it. But uh, that car, I, I will I'll tell you what, what the story is on that car. Uh, that car was the Lafayette. There was a car briefly made during my infanthood. Called the Lafayette it was made by the Nash people it seems to be Nash night it was made by the Nash people and did he tell you why they called it the 600 baby he didn't well that's real trivia now why do I remember that why do I remember that it had you know most of these numbers that you see on cars are meaningless they'll have it the 448 GTXL DLF Uh, they're very meaningless but there was a time when those numbers meant things For example, the Rover 2000 is not called the 2000 because 2000 is a nice figure. It refers to its capacity. It refers to its displacement. They mean 2000 cc engine. Did you know that? Didn't you? Well, that's what that refers to. Uh, And so the Porsche 1600 refers to the fact that it's a 1600 cc engine. Now, if they say the uh, Porsche 1600 GT That means the 1600 Gran Turismo, which is a different type of... Or the 1600 S refers to sport. Often the 1600 GP refers to a racing model. So, you know, these, 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 these things mean something. So the Lafayette 600 referred to the fact... And I will tell you, since obviously none of you know, I don't know why I remember this, but there was a nationwide advertising campaign, and the old man talked about it all the time. The 600... No wait, I think somebody's calling. Maybe he knows. Let's see. Hey Lee, sit up straight. Does he know? You don't know. He just wants to talk. Well, all right. The the uh, the the Lafayette 600 refers to the fact that they claimed that the car would go 600 miles on one tank of gas. Oh, he knew it. All right, very good. That's very good. So, so one other victim out there. Now, whether it did or not is beside the point. But I had a, uh, one, of the, one of the most unbelievable traumatic experiences I ever had in my life. It had to do with a Lafayette six, uh, Lafayette 600. Now, if you'll give me a little traumatic music up there, do you have, uh, please, do you have uh, 56,000 great moments in moving music in there? All right. Just let it ring. Don't worry about it for a while. We've got other things to do. Other fish to fry, baby. Uh, just, uh, just get it out there and it's, I want, uh, the informer. Alright, this, this is traumatic music. Doesn't this describe trauma? Listen to that. You didn't set, no, it's gotta be in the beginning. You gotta get the beginning of it. It's gotta have that big, coming on there, big boy. Listen to this. This is trauma happening right now. That's it. Uh, hit it there. Just, just bring it in. You don't have to cue it up, Skip. Just let it go. That's it. Oh boy. If that isn't the soul in torment. Yeah, I remember now. Well, you know, there's a period. Now, I don't know whether kids in New York go through this period because or kids in big cities particularly go through the period of great involvement with automobiles. Now, I don't mean they collect models or that kind of thing, but the automobile is a is a is a tremendous thing in the family. Uh, It represents flight. It represents usually the greatest investment the family has ever made. And it was really the biggest thing in our house all the time. I, my old man was always coming home with his eyes sparkling. He had seen the great Pontiac on the used car lot. And he was, you know, the, the, the heat was on him. Uh, he had seen a new Oldsmobile. He always used, of course. He never went into a new car place. He'd see a used Oldsmobile, and he'd come home, and he'd have that glazed look. And my mother automatically got that sick quality. She would immediately know that it was trouble again. And I can remember her always saying, just once, it'd be this bitter argument. We'd be sitting in the car, the kids huddling in the back, you know, when you hear mother arguments. And uh, we'd be sitting in the back. My kid brother is sitting there. We're going along. And uh, there's been some talk. We don't listen to this, you see. We're not involved in the just general blag and blabbing back and forth with mother. And all of a sudden, my mother would say, look, just once, just once. Just once. I, I, I don't know how it would feel. Just once. I would like to have us have one car paid for. Just once. I'd like to see just one month when we did not have to pay a car payment. Why don't we just keep one once to see how it feels, to own it? And the old man would sit up there and say, well, you know, you don't understand. See, now, if I get rid of this one, in a few weeks, we're going to have to start putting dough in the transmission. You know, that old rationale of if you can get rid of this one, it's going to save him money. Well, <laughs> it was that. It went on and on and on. And, and so the car became a really big deal in our house. Fantastic deal. And it was all exciting. I would, uh, we had this game. We would, we would make cars. At that time, the Soapbox Derby was getting really big and there were two or three kids in our neighborhood who were sharks in the in the soapbox derby world they would go to Akron you remember those soapbox derbies and they would win prizes and get helmets and all that jazz and the car became more than a symbol it was just it was just like a, you know the central thing in the family and so we could all identify him every kid could identify all the cars he knew all about what type of engines this one had, and what type, that the, the Willys had an L-head engine or an F-head engine, and one thing, we could, you know, with a great, great vast compendiums of knowledge. All right, you got the scene. Well, one summer, I'm about 13 years old, and I get a job. And I get a job, my dad got me the job. There was a guy uh, who was a friend of somebody he worked with who had a brother who was a famous surveyor. And he was laying out He was laying out new roads and he was laying out rivers and he was laying out continents and all that stuff. And he needed a little kid. Uh, And the idea that the kid was uh, working for him was to carry tools and he was going to stretch the chain. He was going to work in the cutting weeds and all that jazz while they were working. You know, you've seen kids working with surveyors. Boy, was I excited. Well, the first day arrived for me to go to work. And this man came to the house and he was a surveyor, tall, thin, bronzed. He looked like Gary Cooper. Really did. He looked like those guys in those Chesterfield ads, you know, men of action. They they like a smoke that doesn't have any fad, no kid stuff, none of the stuff with the filters, you know. When they're going to get sick by a young... Know, and so they... Uh, th- 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 those guys. And, and so he was one of those tall, bronzed, and, and he had the look of a man who spent all of his life in the outdoors, and he had a, a khaki shirt on, and he had these high boots that laced up with leather thongs, and, and he came up, and he had this, this uh, scrunched-down old sun hat, and he's you know, picking me up. And he says, well, let's go, son. And my first day on the job. And he picked me up in his new car, which was a Lafayette 600. Uh, maybe it was a couple of years old, but it was you know, looked great to us you know because we our idea of a new car was a car that well maybe seventh or eighth hand you know <laughs> that kind of thing so here is this car, and I sat in the back, and all the tools were piled up around me, and his assistant was up in front there with him, a guy who was going to purdue, and he was a big college type, and a little kids the the wow they 're driving along, and we go all the way out into the woods and we start our work, and we work all day sweating. And, Hot and every couple of hours, Mr. Millard would send me back to the car, back to the Lafayette, and give me the keys. And we'd be maybe two miles away from the car. And he'd send me back to the to the car to get he'd give me the keys. And he'd say, "Go on back and get the get the water, or get the get the beer, or whatever it is he had in there. Go go. And be sure to get me that little book, the little green one, the one that's marked number twenty-two. Okay, get that book now. And uh, while you're there, uh, pick up the T-square, the little one. say... So I'm running back and forth, and I, I love that feeling of the keys. I'd open the car, and I'd sit in it, and I'd go in the front seat, and I'd open up the, I'd open up the glove compartment and get out the book, and oh, you know, the whole thing of the car, and I'd close it very carefully and lock it and run back out. Well, this went on for about three or four weeks. And, uh, Mr. Millard was always talking about his car. He, he uh, he was, uh, he was a car tinkerer. He messed with his car, and he kept it clean and shiny and bright, and, it was pretty, it was a dark, a dark, rich, cocoa colored, uh, beautiful colored car, uh, sort of cocoa colored, in the, and the seats inside, he had a special kind of leather upholstery in it. it, looked great. And so every day I would come back, and I'd open the door, and I'd get the beer. I'd Sit once in a while in the wheel, behind the wheel, and go, blah, 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 and shut the gears. and Then I'd get real embarrassed, and no, i stop it, you're not a kid. You know, you're, you're almost 14 now. And I'd close the door, and I'd run back out. Well, one day, oh boy, I'll never forget this. I hate to even tell you about it, because even though it, it, uh, it's a bad scene, uh, one day, Mr. Millard sent me back to get some kind of a fluid. They used some kind of fluid. He used it to clean his, his chain. You know what a chain is? A surveyor's chain. That's that long, stainless steel tape, that big measuring tape that's maybe 100 feet, uh, 200 feet long, that big tape. And he used this fluid, and it came in a bottle. It had a big quart bottle of this stuff. And he used to clean it once in a while when the tape would be dragged through the mud and it would be dragged through crud and muck and stuff. It would get very hard to handle and so our tape was all dirty and so he sent me back to get the fluid you got the picture and i go running back i'm all excited and It's a great nice hot day and and uh oh i'm feeling full of it you know uh what is it that, it's on the tip of my tongue that expression i'm full of um, oh something i remember something in vinegar i can't remember it's an old expression and uh i go tearing back through the through the woods and the car was sitting there in the clearing, shiny and bright, beautiful car. And I reach, I reach into the car to get this, this fluid, which was in the back seat on the floor. I reach down, I get it up, and it's a big jug of it. It's a, it's a big gallon jug, you know, the kind that of cider comes in with the handle on the side. And I take this big jug, see, and I pull it, and it's white, clear white fluid like this. So I pick it up, and I'm, I'm getting out, and I walk around to the front of the car. Now, I don't know why I did this. It was just one of those things, those nutty things that you do. And all of a sudden, I thought, oh, gee whiz, yeah. Well, I think I'll get one of my sandwiches out, which was in the back seat of the car. So I put this jug on the top of the wood. I just sat it on the wood, see. And I go back into the car to get my sandwich, and I sit down in the car, just, you know, with the, with the bag, I had my lunch bag, and I'm scrubbing around, and I tear the bag open, and then I step out of the car, and as I do so, you know how the spring goes up, the car just momentarily goes eeky, eek. and with that, the jug went oonk. It just fell over on its side, and it stuck. It pours all over the hood. I rush over to the front. I grab that chunk. Holy smokes. And here's that white fluid. It looks like water. It's all over the hood of the car. You got the scene. It's all over the hood, and it's dripped down on the fenders, and it's now dripping down into the grass. And holy smokes, what am I gonna do? Oh gee, it was wow. And I, I rush into the car, and I go through the glove compartment, and here's a rag, we had a big rag. See? I grab the rag, and I saw... ooh, it's coming off, the paint is coming off. On the rag, ah, ooh, it's a paint, it's a big glob of brown paint on the rag. Holy smokes. Oh gee, it was wow. And, and, oh, I don't know what to do. So, I, I look at and it's beginning to dry. You know, it looks like it's drying. See, I know what I'll do. I'll just leave it dry. I won't touch it. <laughs> well, sure enough, be, it's drying off, and it's looking better, and it's drying. Oh, am I scared. Oh, boy. Why didn't I leave the top of the jug up? Oh, what the heck's the matter with me? And I screw the top on, and then I say, well, all right, I'll play it cool. <laughs> it's like it's a Z. And I stood back about ten feet, and it looked exactly like it had looked before. It was that nice cocoa brown car, shiny and sparkling. The sun is beating down. And I have the jug in my hand. It weighed about 40 pounds. I don't know what the stuff was. It had a a sharp, you know, that kind of smell between carbon tet. Uh, It smelled like carbon tet. It smelled like gasoline, kerosene, benzol, cleaning fluid. I don't know what it was. It was a big jug. He just called it the cleaner. Go get the cleaner. He never called it anything else than the cleaner. And so now I've got this jug in my hand and the birds are singing. And the car looks like it always looked. And so I go trotting back to the woods with my salami sandwich. Well, I'm about three quarters of the way back, and after all, I'm just a kid. You know, already I've forgotten. that scene. I'm going back. And so the day picks up. I eat my salami sandwich. Mr. Miller drinks his beer. And uh, the guy, Buddy, who worked, uh, he was the big college guy. He walked around and told dirty jokes. And and uh we surveyed the river and we got bitten by mosquitoes and we got poison oak and the sun beat down and we talked about the White Sox and the great feeling of work and just going on and on and on like that. And finally it is now five thirty. And we go back through the woods carrying our transit and we've got our chain and all the pins and the books and I'm carrying a whole bunch of stuff and the jug and everything. I don't think anything about it. Uh, cha, 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 cha. The day is over. And another 65 cents i And now I'm sitting in the back seat of the Lafayette, just like this. You know, I'm sitting back there, and, and I'm eating the apple, which I have saved from my lunch. And up in front, Buddy is drinking another can of beer. And Mr. Millard puts the key into the switch. And he goes, wow, 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 wow. And he turns around, and he's starting to back the car out. See, he's going, blah, 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 blah. He's looking over my head, see, out of the back window. And I am looking forward, and Buddy is drinking the beer. He's sitting up there, om, om. he's knocking the beer. And all of a sudden, I see, drifting in front of my eyes, right looking through the windshield, I see a thin wisp of gray smoke. It's going, <laughs> That's Hitley. Oh, that stuff on the hood! Oh, oh, oh my God! What's going to happen now? Oh. And Mr. Millard, very calmly, is going. Ah, wah, wah, wah. He's driving backwards. His head is looking out. He's looking right past me. He's, what's the matter with you? you know? he's, you're looking funny. Ah, wah, 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 wah. And he turns and he goes backs out into the road. And then he turns around and he looks out the front of the car. He looks through his windshield, and the entire hood is in Oh, Oh. Miller jumps out of the car with a, with a yell like you never, "Ah!" he goes, quick, quick, buddy, quick, give me a ride, holy smokes, and buddy falls out of the car, his beer spills all over, and I dive down into the seat. And I lay there, oh, whippling, oh, and Mr. Miller takes an old coat that he had. He used this old, big old jacket. He throws it over the hood, and the sheepskin is burning, and he's beating up the thing. Oh, buddy's running around, pouring beer on it. Everybody's yelling and hollering, and then it's all over. The fire is over. And there sat that beautiful cocoa brown Lafayette 600. It's chrome gleaming in the sunlight. And the hood and the left fender looked like the skin of a petrified dinosaur. It was black and charred, burnt down to the core, big blisters all over it and all the way down. And Millard sat in the car for a minute. He didn't know what to say. And Buddy sat in the car for a minute. And I'm sitting back there with my head down between my shoulder blades. And Millard says... Well, I guess I might as well try start again. I don't know what... I can't figure it out. What, what, what's the matter with this damn thing? And it runs just like it always ran. Do you know, for that entire summer, that was the great mystery. Millard would talk to Buddy, who was taking chemistry at Purdue, and Buddy would talk to Millard, who had graduated as a civil engineer from the University of Michigan, And they discussed various theories why the hood on the Lafayette 600 burst into flame on that peculiarly fated, beautiful spring morning. And they finally came to the conclusion that it was one of those strange scientific mysteries, one of those one in a thousand things, probably due to bad design of the car. Possibly, and there was the, I remember them opening the hood all the time, saying, now you see, look, the air cleaner doesn't clear that hood by more than a half an inch I tell you this buddy I know what happened I turned the thing on it backfired you see what happened was that the back gases came up through the air filter hit the bottom of the hood just like that and it was probably heated in the Sun and because of oil inhalation and the gases on him pool like that and the paint burned off like that And buddy says you know I think that may be it why don't you write to the Nash people about that you know that could be dangerous and all the while, I sat in the back of the seat and ate my apple. My eyes were kind of watery from fear whenever they would get on that subject. And I would sit back there. And once in a while, Mr. Millard would ask me to go back and get the cleaning stuff. He says, go get the cleaner. we got to clean the chain. And I would take the cleaner out of the car. And I would hold it 15 feet away from the wood with the cork on it. And I put my hand over the top. And I would wander back through the swamps. Oh, there's many a mystery out there in that great world. Many, and by the way, there is many an untrapped criminal. There has been many a perfect crime perpetrated. And I suspect that even to this day, Mr. Millard, who is now a respected elder statesman among architects and and the great civil engineers of his time, once in a while when he's in his cups, he turns back and says, you know, you guys think you had trouble with your cars. Let me tell you, the funny thing happened to me one time. I bought this this Lafayette, Nash 600 Lafayette. I'll never forget. It. it was a beautiful cocoa-colored car. And I had it a, you know, year or so, beautiful, kept it clean and sharp. And one day, out of the blue, all of a sudden, it did something I've never seen another car do. Now, you're not going to believe this. I put the key into the lock, I turned it on, and the whole hood burst in the flame. Just a, just a page, Just like that. And you know, the Nash people wrote back and said they never heard of anything like that. Well, by George, if funny things are going to happen, they're going to happen to me. And he tilts back and drinks a little of his sherry and looks into the fire.